It's election day, but in Detroit, more than a dozen polling places had no electricity when they opened the doors. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans and WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from Bradblog.com, and this, of course, is the world famous Bradcast. Thank you very much for joining us for it. Uh, well, hey, Desi Doyen. Yes. Do you recall the unofficial election administrator's prayer? No, I do not. <laughs> that would be, uh, there's several versions of it, but it's something along the lines of, please, God, don't let this election be close. Ah, yes. Well, I guess a lot of prayers were not answered were not last night. answered, uh, and uh, that's also the longtime election integrity journalist's uh, blogger and broadcaster's prayer as well. But you're right. Once again, our prayers were decidedly not answered on Tuesday. It <clears throat> It was a very late night for us here at the Brad Blog World News Headquarters <laughs> as we uh, followed or at least tried to follow election results and problem reports from five different states, including Missouri, Michigan, Kansas, Washington, all of which held their statewide 2018 midterm primary elections on Tuesday. And, of course, in Ohio's 12th con- congressional district, which held the Last major U.S. House special election before the crucial 2018 midterms. Um, yes, there will be another U.S. House special election, uh, which I'll explain in a bit, though it is not uh, it was not considered major. Although maybe it will be now. I don't know. Anyway, we will slog through and around and about what we know about some of the notable races and ballot initiatives from all five of those states momentarily, along with reports of voting and counting problems on our computerized and constantly failing voting and tabulation systems, including some of those brand spanking new touchscreen voting machines in Kansas that failed 
on Tuesday. Who could have predicted it? Even the new ones? Yep. Yikes. Uh, and uh, we can thank uh, Secretary of State Chris Kobach for that. In any event, uh, we will work through as much of that as we can today and as much of that as we know at what is still uh, really an early hour following Election Day uh, in a moment. But some pretty big breaking news out of D.C. today before we get there. Federal prosecutors arrested and charged New York Republican Congressman Chris Collins, one of President Trump's earliest congressional supporters, in fact, the first sitting member of Congress to endorse him. Uh, he was arrested and charged with insider trading on Wednesday, alleging that the congressman schemed with his son to avoid significant losses in a biotech investment. Collins's son, Cameron, as well as Stephen Zarsky, the father of Cameron's fiance, were also charged in this. There were some six other unindicted co-conspirators cited in the indictment. Uh, including son Cameron's then fiance, her father's uh, brothers, and others. The indictment secured by the U.S. attorney in Manhattan on uh, on Wednesday, uh, who sure seems to have the uh, congressman dead to rights here, with the uh, emails, text messages, and much more, uh, seemingly pinning the uh, uh, congressman red-handed on this. In any event, the U.S. attorney um, is related to um, the indictment. I'm sorry, is related to Collins, rela Congressman Collins' relationship with Innate immo, Im, Immunotherapeutics, an Australian biotech company that was developing a treatment for <clears throat> for multiple sclerosis. Congressman Collins was the company's largest shareholder and sat on its board of directors, giving him access to confidential corporate information, which, according to prosecutors, he then illegally shared with his son just moments after receiving bad news about a drug trial that the company had uh, been anticipating before that news was announced publicly, his son Cameron Collins then traded on the information, dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stock and passed the news along to Zarsky, his <clears throat> his father's fiance, his fiance's father. Uh, the trades allowed Cameron and Zarsky to avoid some seven hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars in losses, according to the indictment. Well, that's quite a bit. That's uh, almost eight hundred thousand yep. dollars in losses that they avoided through this insider trading. Yes. Thank you, uh, Congressman. U.S. Attorney Jeff Berman, a Trump appointee, by the way, said at a news conference today that Collins, who by virtue of his office helps write the laws of this country, acted as if the laws did not apply to him. Uh, Collins faces now multiple counts of securities and wires, wire fraud and is also accused of lying to the FBI. The congressman turned himself into the FBI on Wednesday morning. Uh, as I said, it seems like they've got this guy dead to rights here. Uh, Collins has a track record of backing uh, Trump publicly, most recently calling for an end to special counsel Robert Mueller's probe. He blames the Obama administration for failing to push back on Russia. On Wednesday, House Speaker Paul Ryan said he was removing Collins from the House Energy and Commerce Committees. 
uh, saying that, in, quote, insider trading is a clear violation of the public trust. He announced that Collins would now be subject to an investigation by the House Ethics Committee as well. In a statement on Wednesday, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi said the charges against Collins show the rampant, quote, rampant culture of corruption and self-enrichment among Republicans in Washington today. Collins has represented New York's 27th Congressional District uh, outside of uh, Buffalo, New York, since 2013. It's a very Republican district that has not appeared on most political forecasters' target lists for a potential Democratic takeover in the November uh, midterm elections. But I suspect that forecasters, uh, their target lists may have seen a big change. Yeah, they may need they may need to reassess that. Uh, I think they'll be reassessing that. And we know they are reassessing after uh, some of the changes that emerged out of Tuesday's contests in five different states. Uh, Now, for what it's worth, I should note that Collins himself here was unable to sell his own stock because I guess he was a member of the board. So he ended up personally losing some $17 million, reportedly, uh, after the stock had tanked once the news about this failed medical test had come out and uh, pretty much wiped out the company entirely. Now, how does a U.S. congressman have $17 million to put at risk in a uh, stock investment in one single company? I don't know, but before he became a public official, he was a vulture capitalists uh, who had uh, purchased or invested in over 20 bankrupt and financially troubled companies, sucking up all of their assets and then dumping them, according to his Wikipedia bio. Uh, But this guy, who was the very first sitting member of Congress to endorse Donald J. Trump for president, um, may have finally pulled off his last scam at this point. We will see. None of this, I suspect, is good news for Republicans who, at least based on what we know about the reported results so far from Tuesday's elections, may have every reason to be in panic mode today. Now just 90 days out from the November 6th primary election. Now, for fairness uh, and uh, fake balance sake, let me note right off the the top here that Donald Trump today on on the Twitters is predicting a red wave, a red wave this November, Desi Doyen. Hmm. Okie dokie. He uh, may be about the only one in the universe currently predicting such a thing. But uh, yeah, early this morning in several tweets, he cited a giant red wave. He said, we are winning on just about every front. And for that reason, there will not be a blue wave, but there might be a red wave, he says. And then later today, he tweeted out simply two words, all caps, red wave. (laughs) Okay. Okay. so there's that side of the argument uh, for a start. And of course, he could be right. I I suppose, particularly given the frailty of our electoral systems, as uh, once again seen in various problems reported on Election Day on Tuesday and into Tuesday night and still on Wednesday morning. And as I always warn, sometimes it's not until much later before we hear about the uh, the depths of the problems with our easily manipulated, oft-failed electronic voting and tabulation systems used in all 50 states. But <clears throat> let's start in Ohio, perhaps the most closely watched race on Tuesday. 
since, as I uh, said, it was the last major U.S. House special election uh, this year. And uh, no, uh, neither the election administrator nor election integrity journalist prayers were answered here in this Ohio race. With 100% of Election Day precincts reporting, based on uh, results reported by the seven different counties that comprise the very Republican 12th Congressional District in Ohio, Republican Troy Balderson leads Democrat Danny O'Connor by 0.9 percentage points. Or just uh, 1,754 votes out of more than 200,000 that were cast in the special election on Tuesday in Ohio. They were all tallied on the uh, 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems used in all seven of the Buckeye State counties that make up the 12th Congressional District. And uh, I will note, however... Uh, with the Republican in the lead at this point, there are still reportedly about 3,000 outstanding provisional and late vote-by-mail ballots to be tallied uh, and vote-by-mail ballots that were postmarked up until the day before Election Day. They can still be counted if they arrive, apparently, up to 10 days after the election. So we don't know uh, right now, we won't know for a while how this race has actually come out. But as of airtime today, Balderson, the Republican, is on top with 50.2% of the vote. And Danny O'Connor, the Democrat, uh, is uh, just below him with 49.3% of the vote. And yes, the Green candidate, Joe Manchik. Uh, he earned a, f a little bit over a thousand votes with 0.6 percent of the vote. Now, the uh, difference between the Republican and the Democrat here, the, just over 1,700 votes, uh, with the Green candidate taking just over a thousand. Uh, before you get too angry at the Green candidate, even if all of his votes had gone for O'Connor, at least the votes as tallied as of now. Uh, that still could change, but as of today, if all of the green voters, uh, green candidates' votes had gone to the Democrat, every single one, it still wouldn't have changed uh, the results that we have now. It might have, however, made a difference in whether or not this race will see an automatic mandated state uh, recount, which happens in Ohio if there is less than one half of one percentage point. Uh, in the margin between the top two candidates. Right now, that margin is at 0.9. But we will see what happens once the provisionals are included in the tally. So, yeah, another reminder, provisional ballots could make the difference here. They Yes, they are counted in elections. No matter how close the race is, despite what some may tell you. So, please, if you are forced to, please go ahead and cast a provisional ballot. Uh, this November or in any of the remaining primaries, if something goes wrong on Election Day and you're not showing up for some reason in the uh, voter database and you think you should, don't walk away mad. Don't walk away saying that provisional ballots are never counted. They are counted. Yes, they are easier to not count. They are easier to uh, toss than regular normal ballots. But by and large, the majority of them are counted. 
And they also do require you, at least in many of these states, to return to explain that you are registered or show documentation to prove that you're provisional ballot. In some cases. In some some states, you have to return uh, when it's a photo ID situation. Some of these states that have implemented photo ID, if you don't have photo ID. But the upshot is stay and vote, even if it has to be on a provisional ballot. Correct. Now, um, this is uh, even if even if and we don't know, but even if the Republican ends up pulling this off barely. Remember, I told you that the Democrats chance here uh, in this race were very, you know, possible, but slim. I compared it to (laughs) I said slightly, slightly better than Luke Skywalker. Yeah. uh, Taking out the Death Star. That's how narrow this is. And that's why I had spoken to some of the green voters that I know listen to our show uh, about uh, considering voting for the Democrat here in this national emergency in which we find ourselves with Donald Trump and Republicans in control. Uh, But uh, so it's important to remember here that Donald Trump won this district by 11 points back in 2016. And the uh, congressman who had uh, resigned, vacated the seat that was being filled, uh, GOP Congressman Pat Tiberi, he got reelected in 2016 by 36 points. So after eight months of Donald Trump as the president, the Republican candidate in this special election may hold on to uh, a, a one point or less advantage. That is not a good sign for Republicans before November. No matter how Donald Trump or anybody else tries to paint this, um, Steve uh, Singheiser at uh, Daily Coast Election says also it's worth noting that there are 71 Republican-held seats right now in the U.S. House that were closer in the presidential vote back in 2016 than Ohio 12 was. Uh, And uh, he also notes that the GOP dumped at last report over four million dollars into this seat in order to try and save it. Democrats, uh, for their own part, did spend north of one million dollars. But I've seen anywhere from four to one to five to one. The Republicans had outspent the Democrats here to hang on to a seat which should, should have been solid Republican. Sean uh, Trenday over at Real Clear Politics also notes that the last time this particular seat was an open seat was back in 2000. Back then, the Republican won it by 10 points, and the district has been gerrymandered to be made much more, substantially more Republican since then. So, in short, he notes Democrats had no business even being competitive here, even with a good candidate in uh, Danny O'Connor. So um, no matter what happens, uh, this is probably going or could go to some sort of a recount such that there are ballots that actually can be recounted, those provisionals and the absentee uh, ballots and so forth. Either way, uh, no matter what happens here, uh, Balderson and O'Connor will have a rematch for this House seat on November 6th. In the meantime, we'll continue to watch the uh, reported results here, and I hope that our friends listening on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus 
We'll get thee down to the election headquarters in Franklin County and in the other counties to make sure that all of the provisional ballots, etc., and the mail, late mail-in ballots, that they are all included and tallied accurately. We could use some human oversight out there right now because it's seven different counties, Franklin, Delaware, Licking, Richland, Muskingum, Morrow, and uh, Marion counties. And uh, this is when we need the public all hands on deck to oversee these processes. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with more uh, too close election results and um, too many problems voting once again on Tuesday on another big election day. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Yeah, except they didn't have the power, at least in uh, a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of polling places in Michigan on Tuesday. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The power was out at at least 14 Wayne County polling sites. That would be Detroit on Tuesday morning following a round of overnight storms, according to Detroit uh, DTE Energy. Uh, and this is, of course, one of the nightmare scenarios that I warn about all the time when we rely on electronic voting and tabulation and systems and electronic poll books. Yes, indeed, the power did go out on Election Day. Now, the uh, Detroit Metro Times reports that as of noon, uh, about five of the affected sites were still without power, but were uh, they had hoped that it would they would be the lights would be back on by 2 p.m. Poll workers at Zion Chapel near Detroit's North Corktown were sharing a single flashlight and relying on a small generator to keep things moving along. The power was also out at Gumpers Elementary in the city's Rosedale neighborhood where five precincts vote. So it wasn't just um, 14 uh, precincts. It was 14 polling sites, and a lot of those sites have combined precincts within them. Oh, right. So you could have yeah. several precincts in one location, yep. and they're all knocked out. Right. Now, DTE... Uh, said that the power had been knocked out to about 40,000 customers from the storm the night before, and uh, but that they were uh, prioritizing the restoration of polling sites specifically who were affected by the outages, trying to get to those first. A Secretary of State spokesman said the Bureau of Elections had sent out a reminder to clerks on Monday about how to deal with an outage. 
Election officials are said to have recommended locating a generator. Well, uh, good luck with that. That would be simple. Just go out and do that in the middle of the election day. Yeah, when you're trying to deal with a hundred other precincts that are also having problems. But here is the good news. Uh, Voters were still able to continue voting throughout the outage. In Detroit, even if a computer tabulator uh, batteries uh, ran out, they were still able to keep voting because the precincts use hand-marked paper ballots and they have paper voter lists uh, as opposed to electronic poll books. So voters were able to, to continue um, and uh, as the Metro Time notes, uh, that the, they can tally once the power is restored, even if the battery runs out on the optical scan systems. Uh, or, they note, they can hand count if need be. That's See? nice of them to, to mention. Exactly, because it turns out, you know, when the power goes out, paper and pencil, I'm sorry, paper and pen still work. You can't do that with a touchscreen voting system, even a touchscreen system that prints out computer-marked paper trails, so-called. And if you don't have paper poll books, you can't check folks in to vote at all if the uh, power goes out. We have seen that in some recent primaries. So they were able to continue voting uh, in Detroit, at least if they could find a flashlight so that people could see. That's uh, some good news there. It would have been worse in other jurisdictions. Uh, but in the um, uh, as far as the races and the results go, uh, the uh, top line result here would be uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the um, former Democratic member of the Michigan Senate and Senate uh, Senate Democratic leader. She, in the Democratic primary for governor, reportedly defeated the more progressive Bernie Sanders endorsed 33 year old first time candidate Abdul Abdul El Sayed who put up a very good showing. He's likely to uh, run for something else at this po- at some point in the future by uh, many accounts today. Whitmer will take on, the Democrat Whitmer will take on the Trump-endorsed GOP Attorney General Bill Schutte in November in Michigan's gubernatorial contest to uh, replace the termed-out Rick Snyder. As of uh, the polling that we've uh, seen recently right now, the Democrat Whitmer Whitmer has a modest edge over uh, Schutte in uh, in most of the recent polling. And so what that means, actually, is great news, at least for women. The uh, Democrats this year will be fielding uh, a woman for governor. This is in Michigan for governor, Senate. That would be Senator Debbie Stabenow. Uh, State Attorney General and Secretary of State, an all-female slate. Wow. Is that, I wonder if that's a first. It's a first in Michigan. I don't know. It could be a first everywhere. Well, I'm that's not fantastic. Sure. I'm glad to hear it. Well, you would say that. <laughs> yes, uh, I would. <laughs> being a woman and all. Uh, also, a Democrat uh, Rashida Talayab won a uh, race to run unopposed for the U.S. House seat that was vacated by John Conyers making her poised to become the first Muslim woman in Congress. Uh, Ain't nobody running against her. So uh, she will uh, win that race this November. Uh, She uh, had seemed to be trailing throughout the night, but then she jumped into the lead. And uh, it looks quite likely now. Well, I think almost certain now that we will have our first 
Muslim woman in Congress. There were no Republicans, no third party candidates who ran in Tuesday's District 13 primary race. Yes, in Detroit, where the power went out. But that means uh, Taliab is set to uh, win the seat in November and begin serving a full two term, two year term in January. Now, at the same time, there was a primary for a special election to replace Conyers, who resigned uh, late last year uh, in uh, a scandal. Conyers' term was um, the uh, the special primary race to replace him was very close as of late last night. But as of today, it looks like Brenda Jones, who had run against Rashida Tlaib, it looks like she wins the special Democratic primary to fill Conyers' seat. That special House election will take place on the same day as the regular U.S. House election, November 6th. Okay, so Brenda Jones, who <laughs> yes. ran against Tlaib in the primary for right. the November election, she lost. Tlaib won the no- the primary for the November election, but the special election, right. Brenda Jones won. Which will happen on the same day as the regular election. So that means? That means that Brenda Jones who is also running unopposed, I believe that she will, uh, well, she'll certainly win the special election in November, and then she will serve out a few weeks in November and December before Tlaib takes over in January. (laughs) Okay. And this is all thanks to uh, Republican Governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder, who back in December of last year announced this November 6, 2018 special election on the same day. He could have had it months and months and months ago, and the good people of Detroit in the 13th Congressional District could have had representation in Congress, but that is not how Republicans roll these days. They knew that the Democrat, no matter what, was going to win this thing, So he put it off as long as, literally, as long as humanly possible until this year's regular election. Now, uh, why Jones and Tlaib, uh, by the way, both of the races, both uh, the, the regular primary and the special election primary were incredibly close. Uh, less than a thousand different in each case. Uh, why voters chose one rather than the other and then the other rather than the first, I couldn't tell you. But presumably that's what happened. Presumably that's what has been at least reported by the uh, computer tabulators out of Detroit. And hey, finally, the folks in that district will finally get some representation in Congress. How nice for them. Well, there's that. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, less nice for voters is uh, what's going on in Kansas today. Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, Republican Secretary of State, led Governor Jeff Collier by just 191 votes in the Republican race for uh, governor, for the uh, Republican primary for governor. That as of Wednesday morning after uh, Johnson County, the uh, the largest of the uh, the counties in the state, uh, after they finished counting votes that out of 
some 300,000 votes cast in the governor uh, governor's race in the GOP primary. 191 votes different. Difference with uh, Secretary of State Chris Kobach right now at this moment on top. <laughs> Unbelievably uh, close. The razor-thin margin could change in the days ahead, the Wichita Eagle notes, as provisional ballots are counted and mail-in ballots continue to arrive. A recount appears all but certain, I should think. A recount that will be overseen by the Secretary of State, who happens to be Chris Kobach. All the uh, precincts are uh, reporting as of 7.50 a.m. on Wednesday. That's how long it took, thanks to the new voting systems that are in place in Johnson County and some of the other counties in, uh, in Kansas. The outcome, of course, holds national implications, writes the Wichita Eagle. A Kobach loss would embarrass President Donald Trump, who had endorsed uh, Kobach, uh, who had been an, an informal advisor and headed up his phony voter fraud commission. Uh, Trump endorsed Kobach just the day before uh, the, the election. Democrats also seem to be pulling for Kobach here since he's likelier, likely easier to beat uh, this November than the more moderate and not insane, as I saw one person describe him, Jeff Collier. Uh, he's currently serving as governor. He had been the lieutenant governor. Uh, he's now governor after the wildly unpopular Sam Brownback, whose tax cuts gutted the state's educational and infrastructure system after Brownback had left to work for the Trump administration. Uh, as uh, And as many of those huge tax cuts that he had put in place had to be rolled back by the GOP state legislature by court order because the schools weren't being funded, the roads weren't being fixed. Nonetheless, in this Collier-Kobach race, uh, they had campaign watch parties uh, going on all night. They turned into vigils as supporters of both candidates were continued to wait for the results to come in. They were incredibly slow to come in. As I said, they didn't even finish coming in until Wednesday morning. Uh, Johnson County Election Commissioner Ronnie Metzger acknowledged about 11 p.m. on election night um, that this was a, a big deal, um, but no results were released until hours after they were uh, expected. Earlier in the day, election officials had said that they had hoped to start posting results about 7.30 p.m. and to be finished by 10.30 p.m. They did not even start posting results at all. Until 11 p.m. Now, wow. it is not entirely clear what happened, what went wrong. Um, the, the results uh, not being reported fully, at least, you know, the uh, the Election Day results until Wednesday morning. The uh, Wichita Eagle notes that the delay resulted from uh, in part from long lines in Johnson County. Metzger said uh, one of the problems was uh, turnout was unexpectedly high, but it was... Wait, what? Turnout unexpectedly high? Have they not been paying attention? Well, the other thing, it wasn't that high. It was 30%. Now, that may be high for a primary in August, but if it was only 30% and they couldn't get things uh, even rolling until 11 p.m., 
what the hell is going to happen this November? Yeah, that does not bode well for a turnout in November when ex- engagement is expected to be huge. Now, there were long lines in Johnson County, but not because of turnout only. Um, the uh, the polls were supposed to close at 7 p.m. Some were allowed to stay open until 8 p.m. because of the lines. Metzger said the voting results were properly tabulated and secured with a, quote, paper audit trail. But he acknowledges that the new voting system that they put in place in Johnson County had major problems with reporting the results. What problems? Well, that is still unclear. And his claim that they are secure with a paper trail, well, in fact, he has no idea if they are secure or not, even as the head of Johnson County Elections, a job that he was appointed to by, wait for it, Chris Kobach. Oh, man. After the uh, previous Johnson County election chief was appointed to the uh, U.S. Elections Assistance Commission by Donald Trump. So uh, Metzger says that the vendor here for these new machines... Election Systems and Software, Inc., our old friends at ESNS, uh, he said that they had their best engineers working on the problem throughout the night. What so could you, possibly go wrong? So you have these private vendors in there working on these machines in the middle of a live election where they could do, you know, anything they like. Uh, He said that they had finally found a workaround for whatever the problems were by 11 p.m., Um, but uh, this was the, the counting problems were not the only problems when voters went to the polling place in Johnson County. uh, They found in many locations or at least a number of locations on Tuesday morning that the new voting machines were not working at all. That led some voters to walk out before casting their vote, according to, uh, yeah, according to the uh, KC Star. The county election commissioner, Metzger, said the problems were largely resolved a few hours later, but the new machines left some voters disappointed, in the words of the paper. Terry Brown, uh, one voter, said uh, the uh, people, he's uh, referring to election officials, just seemed like they did not know what to do. Metzger had said that we have our techs out out there all over the place. He says it's mostly little minor things that we just have to get it up and going. We have to get the machines up and going so that people can vote. On election day. Because they don't have hand-marked paper ballots. They have these new crappy touchscreen machines that print out something that they call a paper audit trail. Now, uh, apparently, if uh, uh, voters knew and if the poll workers knew, people could have asked for a paper ballot as well, a hand-marked, an actual ballot, a hand-marked paper ballot. Um, In any event, uh, Metzger says it was uh, too early to give a definitive answer about why these issues happen. He said uh, there were some difficulties getting the system set up, some difficulties. But when, for example, this voter Brown had showed up at uh, the Antioch Church shortly after the polls had opened at 7 a.m., just two of these five machines were working, he said. Uh, people were working on the machines, um, but they had no idea how to fix them, and that the people who were voting were taking a very long time to vote, about 10 minutes. 
He said he didn't think it should have taken that long. He thought that maybe voters were unfamiliar with the candidates or that the machines were too slow, he said. But then it got worse. The remaining two machines went down as well. So all of the machines were going down. He said there were 16 people ahead of him. There was 20 people behind him in the line. He said people started to leave to go to work. Uh, after the election, workers could not answer when the machines would be operating. And remember, these are brand new machines being used for the first time here. In a low turnout election, high for a, a midterm primary, but in general, a low turnout election, just 30 percent turnout. Uh, Metzger said, well, it's a brand new system for election workers, so they need to uh, work out some of the kinks. A, uh, a, this is a brand new $10 million touchscreen system that produces uh, these printouts, these computer-marked barcoded ballots. It's, uh, the system is, is the ironically named Express Vote. Oh, my. Made by ESNS, America's largest private voting machine vendor. Uh, and this machine, this express vote, is being pushed into jurisdictions all over the country. When you hear about uh, all of the money that is uh, that, that Congress has been allocating to try to upgrade our voting systems after 2016, this is the crap they are buying. Now you can see just one of the reasons that I have been warning against, uh, you know, this idea that pouring more money and newer systems. Uh, into the uh, into our elections, that that is not the solution to our problems. Ten million dollars were put in place here. Uh, were, were invested in these machines in Johnson County alone, and other counties in Kansas have moved to them as well. Apparently, Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State, is just fine with all of that. By the way, another problem with these. Uh, ESNS Express votes. They don't show all the names on on a screen when you go to vote. If there's a lot of uh, people in the race, if there's a lot of candidates in the race, you actually have to know to hit the more button in order to see all of the candidates. So as the Wichita Eagle reported uh, about a week ago, ago a week a week or so ago, they said. Um, the first screen on the first screen page that comes up when voting in the governor race, one might see, for example, Je Governor Jeff Collier's name, but not his chief rival, Chris Kobach. Or they might see Kobach's name, but not Collier's. Uh, the, the paper goes on to call this an unforeseen software glitch in these systems. Oh, there we go again. Yeah, Glitches, glitch. snags, snafus. But this is not a glitch. This is how these machines are designed, and Kansas certainly should have known about this before these machines were approved, and certainly before August 3rd, when this article ran in the Wichita Eagle. We've been talking about this problem with the, those machines. We were talking about that months ago. So um, the manufacturer is said to be working on a software patch to get more names per screen in future elections. But that was not obviously in time for Tuesday's primary. But don't worry. Uh, they'll be going in and changing the software between now and November. And then in November, we'll have a beta test on November 6th. On a mission critical day. When the voters show up. Wow. Yeah. That's remarkable.
That's remarkable. And, you know, there are other issues with the barcoded ballots that you have covered uh, in depth yep. on previous shows. So I, I say, hey, yeah. go listen, listen to go to bradblog.com and look it up. If Kobach or Collier have any questions about this race, which is incredibly close, still 191 votes between them. If they have any questions, if they want to know for certain that uh, the, the these paper trails they're counting are actually actually reflect the, uh, the intent of the voter. Well, good luck at that, because they print out barcodes that are not human readable. So voters can't verify if the choices that they see are actually in the barcode, the part that's actually counted. But, you know, don't worry. This will all be taken care of by November. (laughs) Are we insane? Yes, apparently we are. But I've been trying to tell you uh, about that for uh, some 15 years now. All right, very quickly, before we got to get to a break here, uh, a couple of other uh, races out of Kansas, some of the House primary races on the Democratic side that we talked about in some of our previous broadcasts here. It was a split decision for progressive congressional candidates who were endorsed uh, and uh, campaigned for last month by Senator Bernie Sanders and New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Kansas. Uh, Labor lawyer Brent Welder, who was endorsed by them both, failed to beat Sharice Davids in the state's third congressional district. It looks like, if we believe the reported results... Um, that despite support from Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez. However, um, they also rallied in July for James Thompson, who won the 4th District primary on Tuesday and has secured a rematch of his 2017 special election against Republican uh, Ron Estes. Thompson lost that special uh, election in 2017 by less than seven points. That was a few months after then uh, Congressman, now Trump Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, had one elect, uh, one re-election there by more than 30 points. So Pompeo had won by the Republican by 30 points. Then the Republican uh, who replaced him won by seven points just a few months later. Who knows what will happen this November? All right, quick break, and we'll be back with some uh, results out of Missouri, my old home state, and Michigan, I think. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Meet me at the fair. Did I say uh, Missouri and Michigan before the break? I think I, I did. I believe you did. I think I did. What I meant was uh, Missouri and Washington. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Republicans, by the way, in, uh, in Missouri came up with a novel way to keep voters from voting oh, goody. on Tuesday. This is a new one. Uh, voting had been brisk, apparently, uh, throughout the uh, the region, with about 35% of re- those registered to cast ballots doing so in St. Louis County and St. Louis City. But a few voters in Berkeley, uh, I guess that's in St. Louis County, 
uh, were turned away when they showed up to cast ballots at Holman Elementary. Why? Because the three Republican poll workers had left the building. What? Entirely. Yeah, uh, Eric Fay, St. Louis County's Democratic Director of Elections, uh, said that one Republican poll worker had a family emergency and left. The other two, however, left for lunch. He says, apparently got lost and didn't come back. Mm, they got lost and they just failed to come back. He said it was like a comedy of errors. He says it's unclear how many people were turned away during the 45 minutes that it took to get more Republican poll workers to the school, which also had three Democratic poll workers on site. Apparently, they could have kept going, uh, but uh, Faye said that... Um, the uh, poll workers, the Democratic poll workers, shut down voting at that time, something he says, Faye says they should not have done. He says they could have kept going. Oh. So unclear why they shut it down. I think, I guess they thought that, oh, we don't have the Republican poll workers here, so we can't continue voting. Um, so unclear how many people had to, uh, you know, were unable to vote. But... That was one problem that happened in Missouri. Another problem was that the uh, the tickets that were printing out from the electronic poll books were wrong in some cases. People were handed nonpartisan ballots by mistake uh, instead of either Democratic or Republican ballots. So there were those problems. And, of course, some of the uh, touchscreen systems they use in uh, the city of St. Louis were flipping from one candidate to another, as they do. Uh, but we have some good news uh, out of Missouri here. Um, Missourians had gathered more than 300,000 petition signatures to force a referendum onto the state's uh, ballot uh, regarding the uh, Republican right to work law that uh, Republicans who control the state legislature had put in place. And rather than letting that initiative uh, be on the November election, Republicans in the state legislature thought it would be clever to have it during the primary, uh, which was a maneuver that they thought would tip the outcome in their favor, uh, in favor of this union-busting law. Because but, they however, thought there would be lower turnout at a primary thought, election. And maybe it was lower turnout. Nonetheless, Missouri voters rejected this Republican anti-union law that they call right-to-work law, they rejected it by a two-to-one margin. A huge defeat uh, for what had been a Republican priority in a state that uh, Trump had won by 19 percentage points in 2016. So it was a huge Trump state, and yet the, uh, the state rejected the voters this, of the, the state rejected, rejected. Yep. the scheme from the Republican state legislature majority. It was a uh, big, huge victory for labor unions. They had invested some $16 million in this campaign to overturn this law. It could also mark a turning point in the Midwest, says uh, CNN, years after Republicans won battles against unions in states like Wisconsin and Indiana. AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka said in a uh, celebratory statement on Tuesday night that the defeat of this poisonous anti-worker legislation is a victory for all workers across the country. 
Uh, it certainly is. A 2-1. to one. It just got thumped. Now, I should note back in um, my old home state in 1978, 40 years ago, there was also a right-to-work initiative on the ballot that lost back then by a 4-1 to one margin. So the anti-union folks are uh, gaining some speed, apparently. Um, it was uh, back in 1978. It was 4-1 to one, uh, against. Now it's 40 years later, 2-1 to one against. So, hey, they can try again in another 40 years. <laughs> Maybe sure. they'll succeed. Yeah. Also, uh, th- even, well, as big news here, uh, incumbent St. Louis County Prosecutor Bob McCulloch, a very powerful Democrat. He has been in office in St. Louis County for some 28 years. He is uh, he became infamous, uh, known nationally for the way he handled the 2014 grand jury decision to not prosecute Officer Darren Wilson for the killing of Mike Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Bob McCulloch was defeated by Wesley Bell, a black city council member from Ferguson. Rob Ellis of KSDK News in St. Louis uh, observes that uh, this week marks four years since Michael Brown's 2014 death in Ferguson. This week? Yep. I can't believe that it's... Uh, was that was four years ago. Uh, but Wesley Bell was a vocal leader during the uh, during the protests in Ferguson uh, after that killing and after that decision by McCulloch. So he was uh, helping to lead the protests back then. And he became a in 2014. And then he became a city councilman in 2015 in Ferguson. And now he has defeated the prosecutor who oversaw the investigation uh, into that matter and decided not to prosecute the cops there. That would be seven term incumbent Bob McCulloch, who has now been unseated by Wesley Bell. Uh, There is no Republican candidate who ran at all in the St. Louis uh, uh, County prosecuting attorney race. So Wesley Bell will, in fact, be the next prosecutor for St. Louis County. Wow. That's pretty cool. It took a long time. It took a really long time. And Michael Brown was sort of the beginning of uh, the public's awareness, finally, of the uh, these uh, just uh, terrible police shootings of unarmed black men and unarmed black people throughout the country. I'm so glad. This is just amazing to me that this finally, after all these years, it's taken this long to move this to this stage. Democracy wins. It's slow moving, but it wins, at least in this case. All right. uh, Very quickly. uh, Sorry to leave you guys for last up there in Washington state. Um, But uh, another not good sign for the Republicans out of Washington state Uh, in three different uh, House races. Republican. uh, Well, but they use the top two primaries up there in Washington state, just like we do. So everyone sort of runs at once and mm. from all parties and uh, the top two vote getters, no matter what party they are from, uh, go on to compete in uh, in in uh, in November. In this case, uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers, she is a, uh, a, 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 a the highest ranking Republican woman in Congress, by the way. She barely uh, came out in front, at least as of the numbers late last night, uh, barely came out in front of her Democratic challenger. Um, 
and I'm I mean barely by a few hundred votes. And again, she is the one of the top Republicans in Congress, and certainly the top female in uh, in Congress, uh, the highest ranking uh, woman in Congress entirely. Um, and yet she barely eked out a victory over the Democrat there in that uh, in that primary race over Lisa Brown. And in the three other races, the three other seats that are held by uh, Republicans, they also were wildly close as far as um, the Democrat potentially beating them. So people hadn't thought of these seats, these Republican seats in Washington as being endangered this November. But uh, all of these districts, the uh, GOP uh, sitting Congress members were held under 50 percent of the vote in these so-called jungle primaries where the Democrats and the Republicans compete head to head in the same contest. So this could foreshadow trouble for those candidates in the fall, even though nobody had really considered those to be endangered seats. Well, you know, we're in a new phase now, and it looks like a lot of things that weren't considered flippable are now considered flippable. And it also shows the power of turnout, the power of voting, the power of getting up and out and into that voting booth and making your voice heard. Power to the people. So we will see if, in fact... If, in fact, uh, there will be a blue wave this fall, there's a lot of signs in that direction. I wouldn't count on it. And uh, just uh, by way of reminder, when we started this show, Donald Trump predicts there will be a red wave of Republicans winning this November. Now, sure, he's crazy. But he also said he would win the presidency in 2016 when very few people... This doesn't include ourselves, but when very few people had uh, predicted that he even had a chance of winning, we warned you he did. And in fact, he did end up winning. At least that's what we're told. Nothing is guaranteed. 90 days left. People have to get out there. They have to get registered, check their registration, help their friends and family check their registration and help people get to the polls to speak up and vote. I mean, that's where it is. That's where it is now. That's where it is. 90 days to go. Uh, And uh, by the way, uh, more uh, primary elections in the days ahead. Hawaii is this Saturday, and then we got more of them next Tuesday. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. It's quite a night there on the Twitters, so uh, find me there. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who support what we do. You are the only ones we count on uh, to stay on your public airwaves. We need your help. At and you can tell, listen to my voice, I'm exhausted. I need your help at bradblog.com slash donate. A one-time donation or sign up for an automated uh, subscription of any amount you like. It is all appreciated. bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.